Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Alexandra Waldman, co-founder and creative director of Universal Standard. In a world where many fashion brands still make clothes in a small range of sizes, Universal Standard manages to offer sizes double zero to 40. I wanted to ask Alex all about that. That's up next. Hey, Alex. Hi. Hi, welcome. Thank you. I feel like we've talked a lot recently. You guys are moving and shaking. We're trying to, uh, yeah, shimmy our way into importance, yeah. (laughs) Yes, not new, but just making waves recently. How long has Universal Standard been around? We recently turned four years old. Hey, hey. So we're still babies. Yes, and you've uh, gone through many... You've evolved quite a lot since yes. you start. Yes. yes, according to plan. <laughs> yes. Let's walk through it. So um, currently, let's talk through who you are now because I know I know of you as, tell me if I'm right, but uh, zero, double zero to size 40 is every style right now. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, I love that. And, maybe, and from what I understand, you started out uh, more limited in sizing, uh, maybe more, I think more limited in scope as well. How did it start? It started with a beginning, which is always smaller, Um, but the idea to grow into a fully size inclusive um, brand, comprehensively speaking, was always um, the idea behind Universal Standard. So we started um, from a size 10 and we went up to a size 28 and we sort of planted our flags on either side of the the divide so we were inside the straight sizes and outside the traditional plus um and that's where we cut our teeth learned our trade yes and really sort of uh we wanted to start there because i was the most underserved audience and we really wanted to learn how to do this properly um and differently from the way it had been done all along yes so how had it been done what was what was well if i had to use one word i would say indifferently yeah. I think there was a captive audience, um, and let's just say myself being an end user um, of of that range of, of sizes, I always felt like I was in a position to pick the best of the worst. It doesn't feel very good, and I felt it didn't allow me to step into who I actually am, did not allow me to feel equal to my peers. Um, I was constantly being directed towards, you know, the furniture floor in some department store. Um, The whole experience, actually, um, was very um, um, unpleasant. I guess that's the easiest way to put it. Totally. So where did you meet your co-founder, and what's your background? Oh, my God, you've opened a can of worms there. Um, (laughs) So uh, I have been living abroad, had been living abroad for a very, very long time. And so had Paulina Vexler, who is my business partner and co-founder. She had actually been living um, across Africa for years and years and years, um, many countries there. Um, I had lived in Japan for nine years and then in Moscow for seven years and in Paris. And it it was um, really sort of a globetrotting kind of uh, life experience. And we both happened to move to New York a couple months apart and mutual friends connected us because we didn't know anyone here. And um, we had a few drinks and decided that we needed to be friends. Yeah. And that's how it all started. Okay, great. So is it what do you do versus what she does? 
So her <laughs> you do it background, all, sure. oh no, like right now, um, it's really funny because we have uh, nothing that should technically prepare us for for starting a business in this category or any category, frankly. Right. Um, but somehow we had enough tools between the two of us to make it work. And um, Paulina kind of runs the company. She's the CEO. She is the person who makes all the wheels turn. I'm the person on the design side, on the creative side. So between the two of us and the wonderful people we've now populated our small company with, um, we have a tremendous group who believes in what we're doing and and really knows how to get together to pull in the same direction. Yes. Who were some of the first hires, the key hires that you brought on to kind of yeah support you guys? Maybe they have more experience uh, than you guys had. No. Well, interestingly enough, um, our first hires were, um, you know, as experienced, which is not very, <laughs> as we were. <laughs> but, um, you know, there are certain things you can teach people and there are certain things that people just have innately. And, um um, we hired smart people yeah, because we believe that smart people can learn how to do anything. And we were very fortunate in um, the hires that came on board um, at various stages of our development. Yep. Um, and we've recently hired, we've just reached the point now where we're hiring really sort of C-suite um, level um, people and they're wonderful. They're a revelation, and it, it's um, it's really uh, a new kind of business. Yeah. Do you see it as, and maybe your investors see it as, the fact that you maybe don't have the traditional fashion background, you're kind of looking at things with fresh eyes and maybe not yeah, approaching the industry as everyone else has? I think that's what it is yeah. uh, in reality, but I don't think that anyone views you as that. I don't think anyone sees lack of experience as something terribly good when yeah. you're starting a business. <laughs> um, so you do have to sort of um, prove yourself to some extent and prove the concept and um, really show that you're solving a problem, you're bringing something into being that needs needs to exist. Once you've done that, I think um, your background is a little less relevant. Uh, it's more uh, what you produce as as things are happening. So Yes. What would you say was the difference between maybe for a brand that was launching with sizes 0 to 10 or 0 to 8 or whatever a typical fashion brand does um, to launching with a 10 to 28? That that size range is it more fit models or is that is it no? So we kind of um, I was recently asked you know what was uh, what was the biggest obstacle to to starting your business? The truth is the biggest obstacle was our lack of knowledge, but it was also um, the biggest benefit. Yeah, because we did not do anything like things had been done before us. So we sort of broke things up and did things according to what made sense to us rather than what perhaps the established norms were. Um, and we got to some very interesting places. Um, so aside from the fact that we positioned ourselves to service 70% of American women versus 30%, we positioned ourselves in a space where there was much, much less um, saturation because we live in a world where 30% of American women have all the choices in the world and 70% yeah. of the women, very few options. So it was kind of a, a, a no-brainer where to start. But the goal of the brand has always been to desegregate fashion. 
and to remove that divide and not have this like them and us because yes. as long as you're the other you're the lesser and we really wanted to change that and usher in a new normal that thought of um you know women as consumers not some women as consumers of this and other women as consumers of that yes so when you went to launch the brand marketing i feel like you know the american population we're all used to hearing straight size plus size and like how how did you market your brand if not you know calling out a size was it more about showing showing women like the the shopper we started off on the larger size scale um and we started talking about creating clothes for all of us as we are. And we really didn't feel that that could be true unless it really was, you know, double zero to 40, which is the largest size range in the world. Um, I think that um, it was very important for us to bring a new paradigm into being and um, to show women that they should expect more. Mm-hmm particularly those women who were taught to expect less. Right. So um, that was that was the whole impetus behind behind the beginning of, of what we did. Got it. Was it all happening on Instagram, on Facebook, digital marketing from the get-go, or did you try something new? Oh, gosh. If you knew, when I say lack of experience, <laughs> I mean <laughs> lack of a complete lack of experience. Neither Paulina nor I have our own Instagram accounts um, or Facebook accounts. Um, I have LinkedIn, but that's about as savvy as I get when it comes to social media. So we had to learn everything from scratch, and we certainly had to find people who were much more uh, knowledgeable um, in how that whole space works. So it's been an interesting learning curve, um, but I am delighted to leave it in um, much more competent hands than ours. Yes. And so what were they doing? That, that they were doing Instagram, Facebook. So well, we started doing it ourselves. Um, and Paulina had a very steep learning curve of how um, ads work and how to use Facebook and, you know, what works, what doesn't. And there was a lot of testing and trying, um, which still continues um, because technology is constantly changing and those algorithms are constantly being changed up. So the rules are, you know, the goalposts are moving um, and um, you have to keep up. Um, but I think we're managing to get better and better at it. Yeah. Can you talk about as you've expanded two more sizes, went to 6 to 32 before it's double zero to 40, um, and also expanded the product assortment can you walk me through the last maybe three years like what's gone into that has it taken more it's taken more investment it's taken more people it's it actually does take that long to get there. yeah I mean I recently actually heard Paulina say this uh, it's easy to start a business it's difficult to scale it yes and that is the trick Um, in order to scale a business, which in and of itself is difficult, you have to have um, the foundation on which you can scale it. And that um, can be tricky. Uh, It's a huge learning curve. So uh, we started 10 to 28. uh, Then we expanded slowly to 6 to 32, all the while waving the flag that we're going to be going further in both directions. Um, But we really wanted to do it right. We wanted to learn how to do the things that we needed to do. We 
we wanted to bring value to um, the consumer. Yeah. And and the way we saw it was, you know, if you wouldn't make this for a size six, don't make it for a size twenty six, because these are women who are influenced by the same things. They watch the same shows. They walk past the same windows. They read the same magazines. Uh, but there was this kind of um, silent disdain for bigger women. Um, and that was one of the things that we wanted to change when we decided to level the playing field. Yes. So zero, double zero to 40. This is where you're staying. This is where we're staying. Yes. You're no longer waving the flag. Yes. <laughs> more more well, is coming. The, the, the flag that we're trying to wave is that it is to the benefit of absolutely everyone. The consumer, certainly the um, the creative community and absolutely the apparel industry, which we all know has not been, you know, doing A+. Um, to really sort of look at this this new normal and say, hey, how can we possibly do well when we're ignoring 70% of the female population? So um, we decided to make ourselves the litmus test and to show the rest of the industry that it can be done and it can be done beautifully and to the benefit of, of everyone involved. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. You're doing a lot of firsts. We definitely are going to dig into that. But right now, your product assortment, I know, uh, I think last year launched denim. Like what, what, what categories are you spanning right now? So we launched denim actually as one of the first categories that we launched. Um, we uh, and it's it's a very important category for us because we know that it's a holy grail item. We all know, regardless of size, that if you find a brand that fits you well, that you are, you know, uh, a fan for life. <laughs> so we we try to actually lean into the denim category because um, it is a piece of Americana, but maybe even more so, it's just a piece of of culture like not to have a pair of jeans because you're not considered worthy of having a pair of jeans it's one of those white noise things that affects your your humanity and the way you see yourself the way you interact with the world yeah so we really wanted to uh create great denim and uh we consider ourselves a brand of elevated essentials so these are clothes for living in you know, your life in. It's not concentrated on special occasion or, you know, even though we have excellent business wear, that is not, I, I always looked at ads prior to starting Universal Standard. I always looked at those ads and of these women in these, you know, patterned wrap dresses and, and high heels. And I thought, I don't understand where she's going. Where is she going? <laughs> where is she going with the bows and the and the things and the why does she have kittens on her t-shirt? You know, she's obviously in her 30s. She obviously does not live in New York with those heels. <laughs> exactly. Um, I just felt like um, we were being brushed into corners of that sort of uh, lady yeah. or or infantilized kind of cute whatever or hypersexualized, you know, um, sort of curvy mama, whatever it was, yes. I did not see myself in any of those things. And I was sure I couldn't be the only one. So when we started Universal Standard, we started a brand for all women. Um, and more importantly, it's a brand for all of us as we are. Yes. Let's dig into getting size, sizing right. This is the <laughs> ambitious uh, project that I was alluding to before. So 
fit model for every size. Yep. Is that that's how it's always been done? It's crazy, but that's how we do it. <laughs> Bananas. Um, it, again, stemmed from our lack of understanding and our need to learn how to do things properly. And we thought if you're going to use a formula to grade, especially to grade across a size range as broad as ours, um, you, you just can't use an indifferent formula because it's like making a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. You know, by the time you go from double zero to 40, you know, your your shorts are pants. You know, right. it just doesn't work that way. Just because you're getting bigger this way doesn't mean that you're getting taller. And there are all kinds of things that we needed to re-examine and learn how to do properly. Yeah. So we invented something that we call micro-grading. And that is to actually look at the difference between each size set to see what makes sense. So that when you line up the entire scale that we create, a dress that's supposed to stop at the knee stops at the knee across all of the sizes. So double zero and 40 are wearing a dress that stops exactly in the same place. Nice. So when did you get the idea? We're working with models of all sizes. Let's put them all on the website as well. Well, I am um, a woman who has lived in a larger body my entire adult life. And I understood, deeply, deeply understood the experiences that many of us have to go through. And I thought, why should you look at one example um, in order to understand how it might fit you, especially when you bring that indifferent grading process into the equation that size eight doesn't look anything like I'm gonna look um, when I put on that dress so we thought why not photograph everything on every single size and then allow women if they wanted to to look at the scope of the range or to click a button and make the entire website just in their size yeah so they don't have to guess I mean because it's so rare you're, where are you finding these fit models? <laughs> you can't go um, to a modeling agency to find. It's very true. Two, four, six, eight, 10, uh, <laughs> even though it's changing, um, it's changing very slowly. So many of the models that we bring into both our editorial and our product detail shots and our uh, seat in your size come from Instagram. Okay, great. Yeah. Are you on their scouting app? You know what's amazing is we've actually <laughs> launched a couple of careers. Um, there are so many spectacular-looking um, individuals, humans out there, who deserve to be in the public eye. And and let's face it, this is how we change the perception of beauty is by seeing it over and over and over and over. If you're just seeing one particular model, if it's if it's one face or one archetype that's constantly being repeated, then you're forced to judge yourself by how far you are from that archetype. Yes. And I think we live in a much more advanced world now, do we not? And culture is changing and the understanding of what's beautiful is much broader and, and much more interesting, I think. So that's what we choose to represent. Yes. I think about it. I don't know if this is the right way to think about it, but in terms of like uh, we talk about sustainability and for those who have kind of cracked, I don't know, they've made progress in terms of sustainable fashion. When it comes to inclusive sizing and, you know, you hear excuses, excuses, excuses from brands on why they're not going there, whether it's, you know, a large investment, uh, they don't have the manpower, whatever. Um, 
you know, is there a community of brands that are helping each other out? Are there the resources there? And it is just excuses and (laughs) they don't need, you know, it's just, it's just putting in the grunt work. I feel like you put in the time and the, you didn't know going in, you figured it out, right? How would you, how do you put it? I think that one of the things that we need to really address is the performative nature of a lot of these changes that are happening. Um, yes, um, you know, people are trying to be um, environment, environmentally savvy. But if you look, you know, even an inch deeper, you realize that only like 3% of that is actually recycled or, you know, that plastic that's been recycled to make those things, it it was actually made in order to recycle it. I mean, I'm using extreme examples. Um, But the same thing goes for sizing as well. I don't think you can consider yourself, um, you know, a size inclusive brand if those extra sizes are only sold on your, on your website. Right. Um, you know, if you have stores, the full size range has to be represented. Otherwise, it's performative. Um, if you're making clothes, then you should be making all of them in the full size range. Why should you make a separate capsule that lives somewhere online and further segregates people? It, it's it's like taking credit for, you know, having the foresight to to be inclusive without actually doing the work and actually providing what the consumer needs and should expect. What is it that, I mean, that they're just maybe saying, I'm offering these extended sizes, we're inclusive, we're putting this on our website or whatever in limited ways, and it's kind of just marketing. But like like you say, like, it's obvious, you're missing a huge portion of the population. Like, why? Like, everybody's looking for sales. Everybody's trying to survive. Why? (laughs) There are a lot of good reasons. Well, a lot of real reasons. I'm not sure how good they are. But I think it shows you how calcified um, the prejudice is against bigger bodies. And how how much of of a brand risk many brands um, consider it to be. The association with a broader scale, um, you know, right now it's moving in the right direction and people are dipping their toes. But there are very few brands that are really willing to say, yes, let's get rid of this old, archaic, stupid, ridiculous system and make clothes for all women. Yep. Um, I think that there's a lot of this kind of hedging of like, let's see who does this first and who else has done this before we do it or else it's we want to be on the right side of things, but we don't really want to invest in this consumer. Um, Whatever it is, there are a million reasons not to do it if you don't really want to. Yeah. You really have to be determined to create this new paradigm. And I personally believe that at the basis of all of it, is changing the minds of people who help the populace determine what is attractive. Yes. I think part of that is changing of the mind. Part of that is changing of the guard. Yes. Um, I think that a lot of people who have been running the show are, are, you know, are going to be going away and there's a newness that's coming into the fashion industry uh, overall, uh, which is very refreshing. Um But, yeah, I think that changing our idea of what's beautiful um, is going to change the whole industry. Yeah. Can you talk to me about your retail partners? Uh, I don't know if Nordstrom is still a partner, uh, but I 
from what I've heard, they they're very you know accommodating in terms of we do put the full line on one floor in one department. We're not going to separate out certain certain sizes, put them on the furniture level. Have um, retail partnerships, have you kind of squashed them just because maybe they were going to separate the brand? Or have you found that retailers are more accommodating these days than maybe in the past? I think they're more accommodating than in the past. But if you're asking me whether it's being done the way it ultimately should be, I would probably say there's still a lot of work to be done. And some of that is just for practical reasons. It's not because the will isn't there. I think that, you know, um, taking the few pieces that are cloistered together in a place where you can find, you know you can find them and dispersing them throughout the entire store makes it very difficult to find. Um, So there are practical reasons to it, but also I think there's a seriousness that needs to come to the space overall, to the the entire space, not an aspect of the space, um, the fashion space that really um, is going to to change everything um, for the better and. You just need to find some diehard believers and people who are going to say, I don't care if no one else has done it. I'm going to do it and I'm going to show everyone um, that it's a great thing to do and to the benefit of all concerned. Yes. Who have you found that's Um, like-minded? Who have we found that's... One of the things that I love, um, Nordstrom is is a fantastic partner, um, but there are practical, like I said, any department store is going yes. to find it difficult to, to, you know, they're going to be the the end result rather than the start. Yes. Um, I think that um, one of the the things that we try to do is we actually try to work with people from across industry levels, people who are surprising, um, people who you might not automatically think of as being an ally to the concept of desegregated fashion. You know, whether it's high fashion like Rodarte or, or you know, uh, a lifestyle channel like Goop or Adidas, um, which we recently launched a connect collection with, or J. Crew, who is that Americana mainstream brand that, you know, has always been there and is kind of like that, you know, available to everyone. We really want to work with that range of diversity to show that it's possible to make a difference at every single level that they're there is no limit and no reason to limit your own brand from participating in the change. Yes. I remember your Rodarte collaboration. Was that one of the early ones, one of the first? No. Um, Rodarte was after J. Crew. Okay. And um, it was certainly one of the most um, surprising, I think, to the market because they are such high fashion and they're you know, Kate and Laura Malevi um, are just, you know, creative geniuses. What they make is astonishing and extraordinary and beautiful. And it was so wonderful for them to say, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's give this a go and see how this works and allow um, a much broader range of consumers to to be able to buy our things. Yes. So you see collaborate the collaboration as a tool reaching new audiences have I don't know. What what else makes for a success? For me right now, it's about um, 
diversity in the brands that we work with. Yep. So there are brands that we work with that, you know, uh, we work with sort of a little bit more behind a curtain in terms of helping them broaden their size ranges and doing it right. Um, we honestly believe that um, the future of fashion is inclusive and we're not just talking about size. I think as a modern brand, we're talking about everything. Yes. Um, and none of it it should be performative. It should all be authentic. You can't just put two black models, um, you know, in your campaign and think that you're being racially diverse. You can't just put, you know, one person, um, you know, who's over 25 and consider t- yourself to be age diverse. You have to, you have to include people who represent all of us exactly as they are, whether it's a, a disability or, you know, which... I mean, we have seen some of the most incredible models from Erin Phillips to to Mama Cox, who's like, she's part sculpture. I mean, how gorgeous can you get? Um, there is so much beauty and diversity that I think we've really been um, shooting ourselves in, in the foot by not opening those doors up. I love it, for sure. We've got to hit on your physical retail strategy because you've got this great store that just opened in New York. Is this store number five or you've got five total? It is. Yes. Store number five. Congrats. That's a Thank lot. Thank you. In a short period of time, right? In a very short period of time. <laughs> we seem to always be on the run. We have five concept stores across the United States now. So um, they are in Seattle, Portland, Houston, Chicago, and New York. And um, I call them concept stores, which seems to be um, a very popular phrase these days. But <laughs> we really wanted to change the the experience the customer was was having. We believe that you know the transaction is not enough to draw people into a physical space anymore. That you can buy whatever you need on the internet. Um, so why would you? leave your house, get on transport, get to the store just so that you can purchase something. It just doesn't really, um, there's not enough incentive. So we created these spaces, which we call one-to-one, and um, they are in the heart of each of the cities that I mentioned. Yep. And it's like walking into a really beautiful apartment. Um, you can have a glass of wine or a coffee or a bowl of cereal if you want. Cereal! <laughs> yeah. You can sit down and just relax and work on your laptop if you like. Nice. You have that one-to-one experience with a stylist, which we've become kind of known for because it's not a salesperson. It's a stylist. So that means they're on your side. Nice. Um, and the second aspect of that is that we have um, a lot of events in these spaces cultural events, um, intellectual events, um, you know, events where people can gather in groups and just like share ideas. But perhaps the most um, unusual aspect of these spaces is that we allow our customers to use them for their own events for free. Nice. So there's no uh, membership fee or fee for the space. There's no, there's no hook. (laughs) There's no, it's just... A matter of booking um, the space so that we want our, our community to feel that they have a pied a terre in the center of each of those cities that they yep. can use um, to their own advantage. How nice. Who's taking advantage of that? 
Oh, it is pretty booked up. <laughs> nice. It's it's been pretty amazing actually to see how many whether it's a a female founders company that wants to launch a product or somebody who's just launched a book or somebody who wants to do um, a yoga class or yes. a sound bath or whatever it is. <laughs> it's been the variety has been tremendous. That sounds fun. So you said in-store stylists. I know online you've got your, I guess, virtual stylists. Yes. Um, I love how it's kind of you can actually like book a, a time. It's like a calendar and you actually have an appointment online. Can you tell me about the success of that and maybe what shoppers are seeking assistance for, what they need advice for, what, what they're wondering, what they want help with? It's about as broad as you can get. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, fundamentally that uh, the larger scale of what we provide, uh, these women have long been kind of ignored by the industry. So they find themselves sometimes on the back foot when it comes to styling things. Like this is a new thing that's coming into being. So some of them are coming in and saying, look, I need to replace my entire wardrobe. Help me to do it in a sensical way. And, you know, we put together those four or five pieces that, that can be incorporated into what they already have or into yep. each other. Um, there are people who come in and say, I'm going on vacation and I don't want to take anything I have in my closet. There are people who come in and say, um, you know, I'm going to my high school reunion and I want to, like, look amazing. Whatever it is, um, the stylist can prepare before you even arrive. Nice. And then surprise you with certain things that maybe you would not have reached for. Yes. But they're, you know, they look fantastic once you try them on. Yes. Are you find that the, finding that those who work with a stylist, maybe they're have a larger cart size, more more items per per. There's no per question. Yeah, There's no yeah. question that when people come into the store, um, the transactional value is higher uh, because they can try things on, they can ask questions, they can it, it try things on that perhaps they wouldn't have thought of for themselves yeah. because we all fall into certain habits. Uh, but that's why it's great to have a stylist because the stylist doesn't see you in that way and says. I know this might not be your thing, but trust me, you need to try this on. And I can't tell you how many love letters we get after these appointments. Nice. Are you still planning five more next year? Is that still, that's again, a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, what we want to do actually is now that we have these, um, these amazing, amazing spaces and they really are very pretty, we want to really make something of them. This is kind of, um, what our brand is all about. It's not about going into every category as fast as you can and, you know, in every direction. It's about doing something and, and making sure that it's done right and making sure that it really adds value and builds community and is, is a joy to, to have. Yeah. Um, once we um, know that that's what it is, um, that's when we're going to um, blast it out. Yes, approach to fundraising so far. You have some some very high-profile investors, I must say. Do we know we Gwyneth? We do. <laughs> we do. We've been really fortunate in the people who believed in our concept. Um, and we've also been really fortunate um, in many of the people who um, who believed in us are actually entrepreneurs themselves. So yep. they really understand uh, the cadence of building a business. They understand... Um, you know, 
the value of mistakes. Um, they understand, you know, how things ought to move. Yeah. Um, and they have tremendous experience. I mean, we could not ask for um, a more amazing group of, of, of investors than the one we have. So we're very grateful for that. Yes. What can you tell me about your growth to date before we sign off? Um, it's been good. <laughs> um, we don't, you know, generally um, give out numbers, but, um, you know, I'll knock on wood uh, yeah. and say thank you um, to our customers and to um, the people who are looking at our business and seeing its potential, not just for what we are, but as an example for what can be for other other brands. Um we um, we're very positive on the future. Yes. Uh, so, what would you say? What's your prediction for 2020? Will Plus fall out of favor, or we've got more time for that? We've got more time for that. Yeah. Um, I think there is room for everything, and I think that we need to be patient with those brands that are coming on board and revealing themselves in whatever way they choose to, as long as they're is a declaration that this is just the beginning. Um, there are some amazing brands out there that are just coming on board and saying, we know, we know, we know, we're starting with this, but it's so good, we're gonna do it all, just give us a minute, we want to do this properly. And I think that's very admirable because nothing um, is more important um, in terms of, of a brand um, and in terms of the culture that's coming into being than authenticity. And so I'm all for that. Great. Well, congrats for all your success. Thanks for being here, Alex. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre bien -Aimé. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.